you, yeah. have you got, have you got bulk here? Um, is your, what's your BMI? Uh, my BMI is quite high. Even when I was playing, I think I was clinically obese. <laughs> uh, I was, seriously. <laughs> my BMI was like 29. But was this supposed to be 24? I don't know. Something on the like spectrum, that. I was right on the oh, border yeah, of obese. definitely on the spectrum. Yeah, what? <laughs> Not that spectrum. The other one. Oh, good Lord. Yes, so I've been clinically obese most of my life. You're not clinically obese. Well, I think it's just because I'm so powerful and stocky. You look like you're, you're hewn from teak. Teak? Yeah. Wow. Oh, I thought you were going to say marble. No, no, no. Marble's cold. I'm warm. Yeah. He's warm. Chinch yeah. recently sent a picture to the group of um, him at the gym. No, the Hurt Locker. The Hurt, the hurt Locker. <laughs> but it was Where just he like diffused him. a few bombs. <laughs> <laughs> it was a completely deserted oh, gym. Was, it, was that just like well, a, stock fo- up, a stock publicity with my with photo? Big guns. Got, well, people the bully boys. The bully boys just scatter, don't they? Hmm? Is that to, right? Um, to have oh, a shower. All oh, right, to have a shower. <laughs> <laughs> do they all do? do have they all got those massive, great big water bottles that are effectively you know like, um, like the a one dumper? That you've got. <laughs> no, the one that you had that you brought in and put in the middle of the table. Yeah, which I've never been able to do again because apparently drinking water out of a bottle is a foolish thing to do. Well, it is. Well, it, yeah, is. Yeah. it is. Yeah. A bit, yeah. There's, There's a tap. Is. A bit pathetic. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, tap but those water <laughs> bottles are getting. They're like kegs now, and it is, yeah. and the colour of them is important. They've got to be lime green or red because there must be some kind of stuff in them. Is, is that to disguise the colour of the powder that's yeah, um, I don't know. poured in? Is that not so that you can tell who's how, is who's? How, no, how <laughs> no. how good your vision is? Because if you can see one more clearly than the other, then <laughs> oh, I see. Then you, yes. you know, you know, if you need glasses, they're, they're, uh, they're, people, they're, they're working their arm muscles, their leg muscles, and, and their, their arm, arm muscles. muscles. Yeah. Their arm muscles. Arm muscles. Yeah, muscles in your there arm. There are muscles. Their biceps or not their triceps. Not necessarily. Well, there's more than one. So arm, arm muscles. muscles. It's plural. Yeah. Their leg muscles. Anyway, yeah, you're brave saying that. You come into the gym and have a word with Big Derek. Uh, then see how brave you are there, eh? <laughs> while, he's, while he's, you know, blasting out the guns. Who's Big Derek? Oh, no, you don't want to meet Big Derek with his lycra. Anyway, where were we t- what were we talking there about? There is nothing worse than, than in the world of social media and oversharing than, than gym, pictures of people in the gym. I don't care that you're in the gym. I'm not interested. No, actually, I sent it because I was eating in a Claire whilst watching yeah. you on Match of the Day, and I, you said you have to earn that you have to work it off and that's yeah. why when I went to the gym I thought well, this would be nice send a picture to the uh, to the crew to the posse yeah. Yeah. no replies whatsoever no because we don't like I mean what I we're d- intimidated by you yeah. going to the gym are you you're basically saying you're lording it over saying look at look at me I'm 10 years old and all of you at the very least and look at how incredibly buff Yes. You've re- well, it's not a picture of me, for starters. Yeah, but we know what's going on behind the camera. Do you? Yeah. yeah. You're naked. You're naked and At sweaty. the gym. It's only because bulky, it, muscular. What? He's been working yeah. on his biceps so much that he, was, he wasn't able to extend his arm out long yeah. enough to yeah, take a selfie. That's so that's true. why it was yeah, just a Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's not how it was meant. That's obviously you've read between the lines there. It was, a, it, was a, it was a power move. It was a power It was yeah. not a power move. It was a power move. It was, this is my life. Be part of it. No, thanks very much. We'd rather not. That's what. That's how it went down. Look, this lads, is... you're slobbing around on the Sunday, and I'm and I'm hitting the weights. That's what that message Chinch told us. in his Chinch. meaningful Instagram story. I know. Yeah. The Sundays is back and biceps. You got to get on with it. Yeah. This is set piece many. The podcast where four friends talk football over food on all days, not just on back and biceps Sunday. Uh, we are a seven day a week military operation. I am Hugh Ferris. Alongside me are Steve Wyeth. Not Stephen. Karaoke song, Somebody Told Me, by The Killers. There is video footage. Rory Smith, karaoke song, Never Gonna Give You Up, by Rick Astley. Unfortunately, there is no video footage. And Andy Hinchcliffe, karaoke song, Anything by Bruce Springsteen, so that he can read the lyrics off his tattoos. Uh, there is that. I actually sang, funny for saying that about Steve, I actually sang 
somebody told me. You like the killers as well, don't you? At my wedding, my second wedding party. Wedding two, the revenge. Well, yes. wedding, wedding one, the killers didn't exist. So yeah. that, that's how you know. Or was it one. another killers song? Well, we don't know. Well, well I well, sang all the things that I've done. Sorry, got that completely wrong. What an incredibly lovely and very well remembered memory. Thank you, you. You were supposed to come to see the killers with me quite recently, and you decided that you'd rather oh, go to did Portugal. You well, did you welch on a, on a pre-agreed yeah. arrangement? I didn't did you? decide like that you. I would rather go to Portugal. I had to go to Portugal. Well, what? Since you started doing to... match of the day, you've changed, man. Why how's this turned into me? I thought, <laughs> I I thought we were all a date. about you, Stephen. I thought we were going to the Manchester Arena together. Stephen. What? <laughs> to enjoy Nevada's <laughs> finest rock ensemble. Ensemble? You decided, oh no, I needed a bit of winter, winter Again, stuff. Again, reading between the lines, that's not what happened. We've got tickets to the Manchester Arena. What's that? I'm very excited. We're going to see Fight of the Concord at the Manchester Arena. Oh, excellent. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Dave, David to... Wyeth is uh, also going to that. Oh, is he? Oh, oh the more famous brother. Oh, until a few weeks ago. Yeah. We did much today. How do the other two Wyeth brothers feel about the fact that they're, both of their brothers have been on the BBC? I feel like we covered this last week. Oh, yeah, okay, fair point. Yeah, he's very, he's very bashful. He doesn't yeah. like to self-congratulate too much. No, but he has sent, sent me, in the, in the intervening seven days, he sent me a succession of messages signed match the day three quiet <laughs> really we, we, we do have a hashtag MOTD Stephen <laughs> so it's not happened uh, we have been enjoying uh, courtesy of the Burton Road Bakery a local cafe I say courtesy of them they made them I paid for them um, some lovely sandwiches who's enjoyed you even had a turkey salad chinch very healthy with egg with egg that's healthy. Um, and you both for some reason have enjoyed exactly the same sandwich even though there are a myriad to choose from uh, Cajun chicken with only green salads because there are some very, very harsh criticisms of tomatoes on the text or the WhatsApp group before we decided which sandwich to chase. I don't want to speak for Stephen Wyeth of Match of the Day, but I don't like insidious tomato. What? I think when... when Sorry, it is insidious tomato. Insidious tomato. Tomato that does not advertise its presence. I, can I just stress, I don't like any tomato in oh. any state. Oh, tomatoes, wonderful. Nor did I, but then I grew up. Yeah, yeah. I like tomatoes in all states. I just like I, I like them to be open and honest about their intentions. So it has to have tomato in the title. So if you if I order a tuna salad sandwich, I expect tuna, I expect lettuce, I might forgive some cucumber. It's all green. It's hard to get, it's hard to pick it all out. If I if I want tomato in that sandwich, I want it to say tuna salad and tomato. It is a separate ingredient. Tomato is not an integral part of salad. I think salad you would most yes, assume I would, I would. would be lettuce, yes. tomato, and yes. cucumber. I don't. Yeah, I, would. I assume it's mixed leaves with some cucumber. <laughs> well, that's where you're wrong. The salad is green. I'm with you, Hugh. Not green with some yeah. red bit. So tomato, Steve, Stephen. Well, tomato would be in a salad. A start, so why would you put fruit in a salad? Exactly. You don't oh, put well, grapes here we in go, there, here we So go. Rory was very, very angry at the suggestion that it might be tomato. I'll have, but a, tuna, then, I'll have a tuna and satsuma salad. Yes, please. yes. Could yeah. I have a couple of slices of apple with that? Further to that, idiots. There was there was the comment about a gherkin. Yeah. First of all, no gherkins going in any of my sandwiches that I'm responsible Good. for. But why the hatred for gherkin? I, I don't like gherkins. No, they're evil. Yeah, not insidious. So you're, not, tomato, you're not a New York Deli kind of guy. I can't stand gherkins. I so you gherkins. like the New York Times, but you don't like the New York Deli. I love a New York Deli, although I find them slightly intimidating. There's too many choices, and no one explains to you how. I think you should, before you go to New York, they should give you a class on how to work the delis because they are frightening. Yeah, what, all the different meats. What, yeah, what, the, what like, do they mean? Where are they also, from? Well, I remember what animal are they sourced? So the last time Kate and I went to New York, we went to it was like no. The northwest bit of Manhattan. I think we've been to the Museum of Natural History. That's the we, upper west side. Upper west side. That's the northwest bit. We we're in the upper west of England, basically. That's what we. You're no, the upper east side. Anyway, wherever it was, we went to this famous Jewish deli. Because well, if apparently, it's, if it's anywhere near the old Seinfeld uh, stories, they are upper west side. So, 
I, I was really excited because I love a good sandwich, Stephen. I don't know about you, I love a sandwich. And, and as long as there's no tomato in it. As long as there's no tomato in it. So we went and ordered, and I, I think I ordered a turkey sandwich, which you'd approve of. Yes, absolutely, meat. yes. And it came, and it was two slices of bread and about, I don't know, nine inches of turkey. And you think, well, hang on, who the hell wants that? Who wants that much turkey? Joey from Friends. There's a Friends Ridiculous. episode where he has a, a, a large deli sandwich, and which it, has about 14 meats. It ruined the meal for me. It was too much. To, it, was, it, was an, it was an unsustainable uh, unsustainable amount of turkey. And it, it, I just I don't understand what, why you would say this sandwich needs to be seven inches tall. It's nonsense. Who, has, nonsense. who has a mouth that's able to fit around that? No human. Dinosaurs. Is that not tradition? Is that not how they, it's no. always been done? Or? I don't know. Or maybe is, they just did it for tradition. your benefit to annoy you. I think they did it to, to take the... To rip the Mickey out of the tourists. That's yeah, what I think they gave it, it to you and thought, let's see whether he tries so to get mouth around that much meat in New York. And I know there is because my boss is listening. <laughs> but um, <laughs> can you please tell us how to work your sandwich system? You could just text your boss. But if you do have any suggestions on how to navigate a New York deli, at Setpiece Menu is uh, how you can get in touch on Twitter. Setpiece Menu at gmail.com. A lot of people have uh, been getting in touch over the weeks. Uh, um, regarding our conversation about joy, I say our conversation about joy, everybody else's conversation about joy. Thank you to everybody for doing that. Uh, it rather tickles us. And Roy mentioned one about um, a pass or a ball going along the touchline and never quite going out as being a source of great joy for one correspondent. John Ural, we should um, say his name because he's done an incredible piece of work. It's almost a novella of joy. So to reward his efforts, here are just a quick rundown of some of the things that bring him joy. Mm. Goals that go in off the bar, mm-hmm. if they bounce down over the line and then go to the roof of the net, they should be worth double. Agreed. Refs, linesmen getting knocked over, hit by the ball, basically. Ball in the face is Squarely in the yeah. face. Yeah. A first, and this is this is a sensible suggestion, a first touch that stops the ball dead, beautiful control. Mm. Um, a perfectly weighted ball over the top or a through ball he likes as well. So those are minor points because we prefer the trivial ones. Uh, shots that go out for a throw-in. Yes, excellent. (laughs) When an outfield player has to go in goal, and invariably the goalkeeper's jersey is not one that can be provided for them, it has to be the goalkeeper's one, so therefore it's massively oversized. And uh, finally, and he says with a caveat, assuming they aren't hurt, when someone in the stand behind the goal gets hit by the ball. Oh, I I agree with that, but I don't. I'd remove, I to, I'd remove the caveat. I might have to keep that for. (laughs) I might have to keep that for one of my soccer stuff. Have I told you about the? The ball in the face incident. No, no. I, I don't think I've done that story, have I? It's not a funny story, but it's a very funny story. Okay, well, we'll uh, perhaps not, uh, not today. That. Not today. Okay, we do have a yeah, soccer story yeah, planned yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit later on, but you, you you need to keep in order. You That's don't want to, you don't want to get it all wrong. Uh, our subject title today I have lifted directly from the New York Times headline to a piece written by their eminent chief soccer correspondent. He's great. That guy. recently, Rory S. Smith, the biggest obstacle for young British coaches? Question mark. Old British coaches. <laughs> Written in anticipation of Sam Allardyce getting the Everton job and rather presciently before Alan Pardew was appointed at West Brom, uh, you will often hear the complaint articulated beautifully by Rory Smith in said article uh, that British managers don't get the chance in the Premier League. Currently, 9 of 20 are, though, and of the appointments made so far this season, four of the five are British. But not just British, British and, shall we say, uh, experienced yeah, that's one way of saying it. Roy Hodgson, Sam Allardyce, David Moyes, Alan Pardew. 
Alan Pardue, as Bob Bradley would say. Pardue, Pardue, Pardue. Alan Pardue. I do, I do, I do, I do. Familiar faces, familiar fates. Are they standing in the way of younger British coaches? And why do they keep getting jobs anyway? So perhaps uh, Rory, who's just finishing off the last bite of his sandwich, so this is perhaps bad timing on my part, um, you could praise for us um, what prompted you to write originally when Sam was going to get the job, now he's got the job. What was the essential thrust of uh, your article? Uh, that every time that there is a narrative that's been allowed to take hold and that is, I think, pretty pretty widely, certainly widely repeated, and I suspect quite widely accepted, that all these terrible foreign people keep coming into our country and taking our managerial jobs, and it's disgraceful, and we should do something like leave a major international... Union Can to we have stop a referendum about that, please? Uh, led by, with leave led by Tony Pulis and Sam Allardyce, and remain led by Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola, which is actually quite a good parallel. Um, the um, <laughs> and will be the subject of an upcoming article. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, so, of Royce. so in fact, the biggest shock that I got possibly all year was learning that Nigel Pearson voted remain. Did not see that coming. <gasps> Nigel Pearson <laughs> is the most most Brexit person I've ever met, but. And yet, and yet, just shows the show you shouldn't judge a book by their, by their um, very aggressive cover. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was trying to think of how to phrase that nicely. So no, so th- there is this this widely accepted sort of belief that foreign managers block the path of young, in inverted commas, British coaches. And Allardyce and David Moyes are both particularly kind of frequent purveyors of that theory. Allardyce certainly goes on TV in Qatar with Richard Keyes and Andy Gray about once every six months to whinge about how English coaches are second-class citizens, how they never get chances, how the Premier League is a global lead in England. And if I'm completely honest, I find the whole thing hypocritical, wrong and incredibly annoying. Largely because they all expect to be able to benefit from access to all these players from all over the world and yet they seem to think that they themselves alone should be some sort of protected species. So Alan, Alan, Sam Allardyce doesn't have any qualms at all about going and signing, signing foreign players just they're blocking the path of some young English lad. But he expects his job and his job alone to be protected because he's English. And I find that illogical, annoying, aggravating, all sorts of negative emotions that I don't enjoy having. <laughs> but the other, the other thing that gets to me about it is that I think it's wrong and that the, the real block is not that you have a very small percentage of foreign managers in English football. I think it's 22 in total, most of whom are in the Premier League and are in the top jobs. Because, A, there's a, there's a logical kind of thesis to it, which is if you're Man United, Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs, you see yourselves as a Champions League club. What you want in your manager is a proven ability to manage a Champions League club, which is different to managing a Championship club or even a lower half of the Premier League club well. You want someone who's proven they can deal with the egos, with the with the demands of the fixtures, all that stuff. So you go when you're appointing, ma- appointing a manager to the candidates who have that, and they are, lo and behold, largely abroad, because they've been in charge of Champions League clubs. The problem is that there is not a ladder by which English managers might get themselves into positions whereby they, they might their nationality might count for them in a straight battle between them and someone who's already coached in the Champions League. Although, having said that, plenty of the top six have given in jobs to English managers in the last 10 years. Roy Hodgson, Brendan Rodgers, Tony Dalgleish, David Moyes, Tim Sherwood. British, we should say British. Brit- all British. Redknapp. Obviously, Arsenal and, Ch- Arsenal and Chelsea haven't, but everybody else has. Um, and I think that is because... I think the reason there is this block is because the same jobs go to the same people, Sam Allardyce, 
all of the time. So Allardyce, Pardew, Pulis, Hodgson, Mark Hughes to some extent, they've all had loads of jobs. If you look in the championship, Neil Warnock's on his 16th job. You've got coaches who have who are in their 6th, 7th, 8th jobs in the championship. There is a block because of a lack of imagination. And the lack of imagination means that older English coaches, and it's not an age thing, just because you're over 50 doesn't mean you're not useful. But it does suggest that perhaps younger coaches aren't getting a chance because experience is seen as being the most important thing, even when that experience isn't necessarily a particularly good experience. Is this the fault of the clubs for employing them, though? Because there must be, clearly, other people available. Why do the clubs keep turning? Is it purely because, well, they've done this before, they've been around the block, that that age-old story of why these guys keep getting jobs? Do you criticise the clubs for employing them? Is it a skill set on a CV? If they're looking at a range of possible candidates... Do they think that the experience that they have accrued genuinely qualifies them for the job? And often when clubs change manager, particularly during the season, they're looking to solve a problem. Yes, yes. Um, so they don't necessarily have too much freedom in, in just picking somebody. They have to pick somebody to do a certain job. And often these, these managers have a reputation for doing that. So that's particularly understandable. But you said that their CV doesn't necessarily stack up in some, some cases. Their reputation of who they are is more important. So are they choosing on reputation and name or are they choosing genuinely because they have a CV which is qualifying them to be considered for that job? I think to an extent they're just they're, they're choosing because there is stuff on their CV. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say is that there is an assumption that... Just stuff, not necessarily are, good stuff. Like you say, if the majority of times when clubs change manager, within the season particularly, but, but out of it as well, it is because the previous manager has not done as well as the club might have liked. So you might not have been relegated, but you might not have been promoted, or you might have finished 15th when you wanted to finish 10th or whatever. And so you go and get someone who you perceive as being a safe pair of hands, and we know they can do this job. And that means you are inclined to go for someone who has had lots of jobs before, because they have kind of accrued that experience. It never seems, no one ever seems to stop and ask, you know, what, what is that experience of? What, what have they done with those opportunities? What is the, the likely upshot of us appointing them? But the reason that clubs continue to do it is because clubs are inherently risk averse. Basically, mm. they 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 don't they know that if you go out and get a thirty-five-year-old who's in his first or second job or whatever, there is a chance it will go badly wrong, uh, and that means that you could risk relegation or you could risk not getting promotion or whatever, and that means you are more inclined to think, well, look, we we know that Neil Warnock, who is as it goes having a great season at Cardiff, but we know Warnock is going to you know we know that players respect him, we know that he can put a team together. We know he's competent at this job of management. Let's get him, because at least there's not the, the absolute downside to employing a young coach. And to their credit, Sam Allardyce has never been relegated. Tony Pulis has never been relegated. And they trade on that. And so there is a genuinely useful part of their CV for those clubs if they are looking for somebody to, to stave off relegation. Yeah, I, th- I think that risk, clubs being risk-averse, is tr- why younger coaches don't get a start. But then also... Because maybe when Sam Allardyce first started coaching, you did have a lot longer in the job. So a young coach goes into a job, the fans are saying, oh, wait a minute, is he, is he inexperienced? They're so dispensable now that things can go wrong over five or six games. You can be out of a job, you'll be judged on that, you'll never get an opportunity yep. again. So the managerial, the way that managers and coaches work these days has totally changed from when maybe Sam Allardyce started. He wasn't under the pressure that young coaches will be under today when they go into a job because they can be very easily dispensed with. That's a brilliant point. I'd, I'd not thought of that, that... That generation of managers started out at a time when you did get three or four years yeah, to, to, make, yeah. to make mistakes and learn your trade yeah. w- without any pressure, which is not something which is not a um, 
a benefit that's been extended to the current generation of coaches, which means they are always at an advantage. That even though I w- you can look at Allardyce's CV, this is my big problem with it, is that you can look at Allardyce or Pulis's CV and say they've never been relegated, but you can also look at it and, and say, well, look, if we give them this three or four year contract, what's going to happen? We know what's going to happen. With Pulis, the fans will appreciate him keeping you up, then they will get bored. Then you will start losing games, and then you will sack him. That's what happens. I'm not, not a personal thing about Tony Pulis, but that is what happens. Same with Allardyce. After a while, the fans don't like the style of football. So the solution there is either Sam Allardyce has to learn that perhaps he can't play the type of football that he wants to play because he is ultimately in the in the entertainment industry well, long term. He, or he said that he has played different football at every club that he's been manager of. That's what he said when he took over at Everton. But how many times have we had discussions on this podcast where we've had to put ideology aside and accept the reality? I don't like the situation. I don't like the status quo. Same as you don't, Rory. But do we not just have to accept it? Because people like Allardyce, Pulis, Pardew, they're not being brought into clubs to win trophies. They're not being brought into top six clubs. Pardew. 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 Sorry, they're not even being brought into clubs to get them into European competition, even though that is something that Sam Allardyce achieved with, with Bolton. They are being brought in to make sure that that club does not get relegated. They're reactionary that, appointments, aren't they? That, that's what that, they're all about. But that is the currency on which the clubs appoint them deal in, in ensuring Premier League survival. And if you're a manager with a reputation and ability to achieve that, and I know you, I can tell from the look in your face that you've got <laughs> ammunition lined up ready to blast <laughs> back in my direction. It, can, they are not, they're, they're simply, the, the, when teams are in the predicaments mm. that those clubs are in, they are simply not going to be able to gamble on a young British coach who's done well. Let's pick Chris Wilder, who's done a great job first at Northampton, getting them out of the, the, the fourth tier, more recently with Sheffield United, who were ticking along nicely after promotion to the championship. But that is too great a gamble. It would be great to see someone like that get an opportunity. But if it's a choice between Chris Wilder and Sam Allardyce, you yeah. put yourself in the shoes of the club chairman. Absolutely. And, and that, in, that context, it's, in that context, it's not the wrong decision. I think my issue is that that thinking spreads all the way down the league. So although there are lots of coaches in their 30s in League 2 and quite a few in League 1, that in the championship in particular, everybody's thinking, well, we can't get a young coach. We've got to have an experienced coach. Let's give the job again to Neil Warner. Because look at all those people who have got promoted because they are yeah. experienced and they've done the job over and over again. But then we ignore the fact that Sean Dyche, Eddie Howe got promoted, Brendan Rodgers at Swansea got, mm. all got promoted playing nice football and without a huge amount of, of managerial experience. So there is no, no guarantee, particularly nowadays, that, that that experienced old hand will will get you promoted. They might keep you up, but they in the championship. That's my problem, that the young British coach never gets in a position to take the... Not even not even the Spurs or the Everton job, but the the Watford job or yeah. the, you know, the... Who, who else has gone this season? Uh, Crystal Palace. Or the, yeah, or the, yeah, or the Crystal Palace job or the West Brom job. That you... Because the championship is, is inherently kind of devoid of imagination, that none of those young coaches can see a pathway to that level, let yeah. alone to the top level. That's more of the concern. Why is Eddie Howe, why is Sean Dyche yeah. not, not moved up the but Premier I, League level? I want to tap your Serie A knowledge now. OK. Is that all right? You can try. They have I, a word, I don't have that much the it. Italians, that I can't pronounce, pronounce uh, that means ferryman and is the type of coach of, of whom you will have seen a million. You're thinking of someone like Luigi Del Neri? Yep. Yep. And they come in. So you, you're Chievo, you're Chievo Verona. We've mentioned we've mentioned yeah. uh, ferrymen before. We, and and, and oh, it's ferrymento. No, no, no. <laughs> you attempted to pronounce it me. that time, so I don't know why I you're not this time. Gladiatore, but I might be Beautiful. Um, 
I can't. I can't. Can I have it. that with garlic bread, please? Traditatori. Uh, the yeah, and the, the idea is, <laughs> which if is we've a, another before, way of saying pardieu in Italian. Ellen Pardieu. <laughs> if we've mentioned it before, I won't go on about it. But it's the coach who comes in for yeah. six months when you yes. when, when you're screwed. You get this experienced guy with a massive moustache in, yeah. and he whips the place into shape. They just they run up hills. He Felix Felix Magaths the hell out of them, and then you stay up. You do not give him another year. Does you know what that manager's limitations are, and what? So with Everton. They've given Allardyce an 18-month contract, which I don't think is terrible. Be interesting to see if there's some sort of break clause in that. Oh, there have to the be at the end of the season when yeah. he's virtually kept them up already with yeah. what he's done. Yeah. But that's why the Everton fans were so annoyed because they felt that anyone could keep them up. But then, yeah. what's going to happen next summer? He's going to have to go somewhere else. Again. Well, no, but what he's doing the job that he's he's needed for at the moment. But if you if everyone's honest there, and it may well be that this is the case, and they've just given him the extra year just in case. But well, I think didn't they didn't they originally offer him six months, and he wasn't interested in the possibly, first yeah, first yeah. conversations that they had, and then they came back, and it, it was said, very quickly done in forty eight yeah. hours. So, ideally, from Everton's point of view, what you do is you say, look, Big Sam has got this this season. I mean, they weren't ever going. Everton were never going down. Don't mean, it, they were never going. Had to go you down. seen them play? Yes, they were never going. Down. Oh, good. Because uh, <laughs> I've also seen Swansea play, and I've seen Crystal Palace play, and, and I've someone seen, else. I've seen a couple of other teams play, <laughs> and none of them are as bad as Everton were not as bad as them. Okay, but Allardyce will keep them up. So you, if you're Mashiri or Kenwright, whoever the hell's in charge at Everton now, you say right, let's spend the next six months working out who we need to not only to mean that avoiding relegation is not an issue but to challenge for Europe but and to play in the style of football that the fans will like you you go and look at Thomas Tuchel of course you go and look at whoever's you know at Marcelino at Valencia or whoever you might fancy but you also look at Eddie Howe and you look at Sean Dyche and you you, you establish you have a process the problem is and it, Everton might be the the exception to this that too few clubs think like that so they, they will go in February when they need 10 points from 12 games to stay up or whatever and appoint Ian McLongball and they were <laughs> Who, who, by the way, you can tell with the muck is a British yes. coach. Well, that, he's done. He has done amazing things at St Johnson. He really certainly has. has. Ian McLongball will go and get. They'll go and get this guy and say, "Here's, here's a three-year contract. Keep us up, and then have two years to build it." Despite the fact they know that in, the, in those two years, what he's going to do is go and sign 17 central defenders, play. Eight zero two and lump the ball forward and, and ask Duncan Ferguson to come out of retirement. Yes, and. The, and uh, surprise, surprise! After a while, the fans get bored, but they do it for so, because. But I guess it must be an ego thing for the managers, I suppose, that they they don't want to feel as though they're just a, a specialist in in surviving relegation. Who and Allardyce certainly doesn't. An actual Scottish manager, Ian McLongwell, <laughs> Alex Neil. Yeah, was it Hamilton? Yep, where he was, and obviously did a great job there. Got an opportunity in England, Norwich City. Was relegated. He was also promoted, promoted as well. and promoted. Yes. Yes, but yeah. that's sh- that's just an example of of the precarious position yeah. that these clubs find themselves in. That they do give somebody an opportunity. Yes, he, he got the team promoted, but having done so, wasn't able to survive mm. to, to that club to thrive in the Premier League. So, so e- even if a manager does a great job in the Championship, brings a club up, go back to Chris Wilder, back-to-back promotions is a possibility with Sheffield United. And they're in the Premier League. We've talked about this sort of thing before. Even if he achieves that, the next time a big Premier League job comes along, he's going to be really long odds to get yeah. it because the, the, it just there are certain horses for certain courses, aren't there? And you know, and a, and a manager that's done a good job in the championship or is, is, is has it? no guarantee of doing a good job in the Premier League, let alone trying to balance Premier League and European football. Or is it the fact that British count against them no, heavily? You no, don't think that's the case? No. You, you think seriously the clubs are looking at these, this, Alex this Neil, is, Chris, are they looking at them though? No, I don't think that... I, I, 
I genuinely and honestly saying yes we're putting you up against all these other guys I don't think they're looking at the championship but right. I don't think it's because the managers in the championship are British I think that there is a nationality to an extent is too simple I think what there is and somebody pointed this out to me on Twitter is there is an old boys boot there's a boot room network which is naturally lands in favour of British managers I think British managers get a far easier ride than foreign managers because for all foreign managers come to this country faced with the ridiculous idea that oh, we don't know if they can handle it here he's won you know he's won 14 lead titles in Germany but can he take Watford to 12th? I don't know. <laughs> Wilson's <laughs> only time will tell. And you get that whole... Well, you won't get the time, frankly. Yeah. You finish 13th yeah. and then, well, it was never right. And, uh, this is, and I, I realise when I'm with a Sky employee, so we shouldn't insult them too much. But the, it's best exemplified by that, the stupidity that Merson and Phil Thompson came out with about, about Marco Silva getting the Watford job. I think the whole job, initially, and then the Watford job. Yeah. That this idea that a guy who had won lead titles... I mean, in Greece... So was it in Greece? Was it Olympiacos? Yes, Olympiacos. Yeah, yeah and and uh, it did it, and at Sporting and in Portugal. And, he, so and he this beat, guy who beat Arsenal as yeah. Olympiacos manager at, oh, gonna, at the Emirates gonna, as well. I'm going to say all this so I sound clever. So <laughs> the is a guy who'd win who'd won lead titles. He'd coached Sporting Lisbon. He'd won lead titles in Greece. You know, he he had a proven track record. He'd managed in the Champions League. That he couldn't manage Hull. He wasn't good enough to manage Hull because Gary Rowett, who I'm sure is a very good manager was better qualified. Or, why was Gary Rowlett better qualified? Or as Paul qualified? No, 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 said, but you're missing Gary Rowlett. Gary you're missing, Rowlett. You're mi- but why did they say that? Do you know why they said that? Because they've mates never are... heard of Marco oh, exactly. So the they old... just presumed he's done nothing or whatever he's done is irrelevant. That's true, but the old boys thing there comes in. That, okay, they, they didn't necessarily know Gary Rowlett particularly well because he doesn't exist. No. <laughs> they might, they might, he does uh, exist somewhere, but he's not, he's not a derby man. Gary Rowlett? Are you Gary Rowlett? Call in. Let us know. At Set Peace Menu. Be interested to know what your CV shows. I'm going to go get the phone book. I'm going through all of the Rowlett cheese in South Manchester. One of them will be called Gary. What's your first name? Gareth, no, no, unless you shorten it. But but that that is where the old boys network. If you if you know of a person because you played alongside him, played against him, and so you have experience of him, suddenly he has greater value than somebody you haven't heard of. It's so there is there is a uh, an ignorant an, an issue an issue of ignorance which we're mocking, but it is genuinely there, and that, and that it, helps to frame all these decisions, don't it, they? It does, and it, the, the best is the best example to prove that nationality is not relevant. The best example of the. British manager who gets a job because his name is familiar is Gianfranco Zola. Mm. Now, Gianfranco Zola is, by all measures, terrible at being a manager. He's not a very good manager. Wonderful footballer, not a good manager. Keeps getting jobs because he's Gianfranco Zola. And does he's got, not only has he got the famous name, but he's also got, got experience because he's been terrible at a number of, of clubs already. Consistently. Consistently. Yeah. He was, was he okay for a bit at Watford? Am I being a bit harsh? Didn't they get to the playoff final? He got them to the playoff final, didn't he? He might have done. We could take your general point. Zola is is not an elite manager. He's not about to become an elite manager, but he keeps getting jobs because people have heard of him. Does he got experience? Has he ticked all those boxes? And it's those managers that that blocked the path. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's kind of in the same... I mean, why does Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank keep getting jobs? Well, we'll wait to see how well he does at Northampton. Uh, to, mm. to I mean, I, to be fair, to, to be fair to Jimmy, I'm impressed that he wants that someone who's yeah, had the career he's, he's had working wants down to go the pyramid work at Northampton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not expecting big jobs. But no, the, the Merson thing about Marco Silva was really indicative of the attitude, which is, I've not heard of him. So instead of this being evidence of my ignorance, it's evidence of his his uselessness. Yeah, but that can't be true in the boardroom. 
You can't no, have not, that not to say Marco Silva never heard of it. Surely to goodness. It can't be. They must do their homework. They must know who these people are. Mm. But, if, but if it they can't have, be that. But if they have a pre-existing relationship with somebody like Sam Allardyce because yeah, they have met in chairman's yeah, lounges before and they just, they just know of these people. But you mm. mentioned Marco Silva who, when we talked, when we started, we were talking about the fact that there are blocks to managers getting the right kind of relevant experience that would allow them to get the job that they're not getting at the moment. How did Marco Silva get that experience? He wasn't. He didn't start off in Champions League football. He, he earned his way up, just like Jose Mourinho earned their way up. And so they're, giving, they're being given opportunities in other countries to go up that managerial ladder to gain the experience that then makes them a relevant appointment in the Premier League or the Championship or the high reaches of the Premier League. So that, that model is not being followed no. in this country. So why is that not happening? Why is there not... If it happens elsewhere and it works to the extent that English clubs are employing these people, so they obviously think that the experience is relevant and has been earned um, sufficiently to be able to get them these jobs, why is nobody thinking, well, if it works over there, why doesn't it work here? Uh, cowardice in the wrist, wrist reversion. Uh, I guess lack of planning has to be part of it. So they, they will, the, In the boardrooms, they will have heard of Marco Silva. They will know who the manager of Atromitos or Ike Athens is at the moment. And they'll be aware whether there's someone who, who has to be watched because they might be quite good. But I think when, the, when push comes to shove and they need an appointment, they might think, mm, it's only Greece, it's only Portugal, I don't know. So they're thinking how the fans might view that yeah, appointment and if it all goes wrong. Yeah, then it's too much, the, the price is too high to pay. Okay. Um, I think that they're all relevant factors. Um, the interesting thing is that um, we've been using Chris Wilder as an example of a young British manager. Chris Wilder's 50. Uh, 50 yes, yes, not, yes, I don't, yes, I don't, yes, I don't, I don't no, think I ever accuse you of being a young, no, that's true. A young manager. But that, you that, said it wasn't age. No, you it said it was age, experience. But that is, that is indicative of the problem that there's too many young coaches, I think, who are being... They're being trapped, effectively, in a system that, that places lots and lots of glass ceilings in their way. And it just so happens that the per- I don't think the people on the glass ce- holding the glass ceilings down are foreign. I think they are Sam Allardyce and his ilk. That they are the people getting in the way of those jobs because they continue to be given jobs. Allardyce isn't a great example of it because he, he does what he does well. Well, let's use David Moyes then because yeah. David Moyes' recent experience is getting relegated with Sunderland only last season, mm-hmm. fresh in the memory, failing at Real Sociedad, given the opportunity to spread his wings and learn new ways, didn't work in Real Sociedad, might not necessarily be only his fault and failing at Manchester United when given the opportunity this time to spread his wings and broaden his horizons and take that big job that everybody says that somebody should be given the chance to do. So why is he getting the West Ham job? I can't answer that question. That's well, the strange, That's arguably the strangest one of the lot. Well, but it's a six-month contract. It's to keep them in the league. So clearly there'll be these managers like Sam Allardyce. Just going, their careers for the next 10, 15 years will be firefighters. But Which club needs us now to maybe save them over the next six but months? Dave, and David, Moyes, David Moyes is the firefighter who has been sent to the fire, having most recently... And then been lit. And he's got a canister of petrol <laughs> on him. <laughs> I was going to say. No, it's not that, he's not, it's not that he, didn't, he didn't set Sunderland on fire, but he did try to put it out with petrol <laughs> Every, but again all four of us wanted to, wanted to go at that petrol, petrol, petrol just completely crashed in on it that was terrible respect the punchline sorry but that, you, you can understand you can understand an, an, an Allardyce a Pulis a Pardew Pardew, Pardew. But, but Moyes does seem the honest one I'm, I'm, I'm completely with, with Hugh there how you could go 
Plum, we're in really serious danger of getting relegated. Do you know what we need? A manager who got relegated last season. Yes, he'll have learned his lessons. <laughs> at, at a club where so many other managers had previously managed to have them escape relegation yeah, yeah. against all the odds. So, and, and quite a lot of them were foreign, damn them. So Moyes, Moyes is the most baffling. But the, the, the other issue with Allardyce and, and not party to an extent, not entirely, but certainly Allardyce and Pulis, is really relevant, which is, and this is a thought that occurred to me after I wrote that piece in a Twitter conversation with someone who's, who I'm not going to credit because I want to take it for myself. But Another theme developing in this podcast. Yeah, absolutely, Stephen. Pulis and Allardyce's style of football isn't attractive, but, but it is effective. That is what everybody accepts. Apart I, from Sam Allardyce. Apart from Sam Allardyce, I'm going to keep yeah. on saying that. The, the, he was convinced that he's, he's a purveyor of great beauty. But the, the problem with that is that it might keep you up one season. Fine, not a problem at all. It might enable you to establish yourselves in the league the next season. Not a problem at all. After that, fans do seem to get bored. That is just the evidence of it. They, they, the fans at West Ham with Allardyce, at West Brom and Stoke with Pulis, started, I mean, Newcastle with Allardyce, they ne- never liked him in the first place. They start to resent it when, when, when he's there for a long period of time. And to Allardyce, I'm sure that is the height of ingratitude and that the, it's proof of how terrible humans are and his genius has been un- un- unappreciated and all that but I think it's, it's actually a really important thing that boards have to consider more now and it, it was f- I, I hadn't quite formulated the thought before my Twitter correspondent got in, friend, got in touch and, and helped me clubs basically are identical entities now, they don't really have genuine valid identities anymore, they, they, they exist to make money, to be in the Premier League most of them don't, don't even care. Most of them don't care about the FA Cup, the League Cup. They're not bothered about trophies. They're not bothered about creating memories. It's just being the Premier League. That's that's widely accepted. I think that's basically it's, it's pretty part fair. Of pragmatism as well. Pragmatism they, to an extent. There is no point in hoping for whatever whatever reason it's come about. It's it's that is now the kind of abiding. I think it's a big problem for the Premier League, but the it's the abiding kind of feeling around a lot of clubs. You know, they don't, every club has a way. I'm going to Norwich, and they 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 um the, the last game of the season when. Alex Neil's team was relegated, I think, against Arsenal, and they um, they wheeled out the under 11s or something, under 12s, just before the game. And said these are the latest exponents of the Norwich Way, and I remember thinking, what's the Norwich Way? It's, it's the it's, it's the, road the road that leads yes. it to, leads yes. it to it's the ring road, the, the A11, <laughs> the um yeah, and so every club has a way, but that's meaningless corporate marketing jargon. They don't have distinct bespoke identities anymore. We laugh a lot about philosophies and coaches who talk about philosophies, but they have taken the place of identities. Fans need to feel that they are part of something, part of a journey, part of something that is going somewhere. There's lots of reasons for that that are not to do with football. Reality TV is always framed in terms of journeys. The reason that that they lose faith and patience with Allardyce and Pulis and managers like that is because they know that it's 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 a today thing it's not a tomorrow thing it's here's my team full of experienced pro- professionals here's you know Gareth McCauley 36 centre half Johnny Evans 32 centre half get another two centre halves put them at full back another <laughs> centre half in midfield let's not lose today let's not lose today let's not go down today Let, let's not care about tomorrow because all that matters is today and I think that that if you are appointing Allardyce and Pulis, and to a lesser extent Pardue, then you are, you're basically, that's what you're taking on. Give them, give them a six-month contract, by all means, to keep you up. Give them an 18-month contract to make them feel better and then sack them after six months or put a clause in or whatever. But if you, if you, if you are a club that is giving those managers, managers who, if I'm completely honest, refuse to learn a different style of football, because they both had loads of time at clubs, and they would all tell you that if you have three or four years at a club, you can start to buy the players that you like and put together your methods and all that. They don't do that. They don't try. They just, they just hoof it long, tell people that what they're seeing 
don't want to use the George Valdano phrase, but isn't something on a stick. They, they, they mislead their fans by telling them that what they're seeing is better and that their own judgment is wrong. They refuse to learn, so it's their own stupid fault. If you, if you don't get those managers, you are going to have a problem in a couple of years because the fans will be bored because they're not part of something. They're not being sold something to dream about. And without that, football's kind of pointless. The Premier League is, in, in that context, is reaping what it's sowing. That the pressure of remaining in the top flight, the financial pressure of remaining in the top flight in England is, is significantly greater than anywhere else in, in the major European leagues. You've got a situation where there are a greater, there's a larger concentration of potential title winning clubs. So the, the top six, the way the top six lines up at the end of the season will be ultimately decided by the results amongst those six teams. The way the other 14 teams line up will be decided by how they fare against each other, not whether they managed to snatch points off Tottenham or Manchester City. You've got a situation in Germany where those things are very different. You've got an outlier team, Bayern Munich, who are going to beat just about everybody, but the rest can feel confident they might be able to take points off each other. Only two teams realistically are relegated, albeit two out of 18 rather than three out of 20, because the team that finishes third bottom almost always wins the relegation playoff. So clubs in Germany can look bigger picture much more easily and I believe currently the number is that 14 out of the 18 Bundesliga clubs are coached by somebody who has been promoted within the club structure who has at some point overseen one of the youth teams it might not be that club's youth team Mm. but somebody who has earned their stripes at under 23 level the the equivalent of the reserve team football in, in the Bundesliga and are now coaching the team. Now, it is a philosophy that's brought us Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel via Mainz. It is a philosophy that currently has Julian Nagelsmann doing a brilliant job at Hoffenheim. They were a team that were in, they were in a really dire position. At approaching the midway point of the season, sacked their manager and gave Nagelsmann, the under-23 coach, the opportunity. He kept them up and the following season got them into the Champions League where they, they ran into to Liverpool in the playoff stage and ended up in the Europa League. You just would not see that in no. the Premier League. They could not take that gamble. If you were if, if you were in the bottom three, like Hoffenheim were in that December, you would be looking for a firefighter. You would be looking for the German equivalent of Allardyce or, or Pulis Felix to keep yeah. you up. Yeah. Whereas Hoffenheim were able to think, do you know what? We can take a gamble here. It is not absolutely the end. It's, it's bad if we get relegated by this experienced coach, it's less so if we go down with this 29-year-old at the helm because then we can look to rebuild with him. We, we've invested in him already. We believe in him going forward. We are going to give him the opportunity. And, so it's and, the lack and of financial... he's going to be the next Bayern manager, isn't he? Or, 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 so or it's the lack of financial constraints or worries in terms of, of dropping out of the league and what that might mean yeah. financially has enabled them to be a bit freer and, and take a, a longer-term view on the people they employ. And investing in your people. But that's not going to happen in the Premier League but anytime what, what's soon. What's really is interesting, it? In, obviously, with the Everton situation and Chinch being so close to Unzi, who he was really nice to in person, but insults when, when he's not with him. <laughs> the, you, you don't see many coaches... Brought through. You, know, you never see kind of a Reading going in and appointing Manchester City's under-23 coach or under-19 coach and saying, do you know what? he's done a really good job coaching. Yeah. He's a good coach. Let's get him to work with our players. That we, we still seem to see 
this isn't a fully form, formed thought, but we still seem to see youth coaching as completely separate yes. to senior yes, coaching. Yes, yeah. And that's quite dangerous. So when Unzi... But I also get, think the senior players at Everton maybe feel that as well so when Dave Unzeth who's earned his corner as a coach and is a very good coach steps into the senior job are, are Wayne Rooney Gilfie Sigurdsson are they looking at him thinking why Why is he he's, why is he doing this what can he tell me so is it a problem that the senior players will look at who's been employed Possibly. and say I'm not having that I'm not having him telling me when absolutely he should be coaching you because he's a very good coach but, and the, but they respect David Moyes it would seem so. It would seem so. Why, yes, I why, think the, 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 the respect would be there. I don't know if it's an age thing or an experience thing or because they've heard more of him or they've seen him around a bit more. But I, I definitely think that would be a problem in a modern changing room is that the, the, the players, certainly the senior players, m- might feel a little bit concerned about who's given the job and feel that, that that guy isn't right and might even talk to the owners about that, which is the worry again, if they start speaking to the owners about the coach or the manager. Because that, that shouldn't happen that way. I can't believe that Javier Hernandez... And Pablo Zabaleta in the West Ham dressing room are thinking, I definitely want to listen to David. I, I think you're oh, right. no, no, yeah, yeah. But yeah I can't yeah, believe those players yeah. with Moyes' situation now are, and I like David Moyes as a bloke, but I can't believe they're looking at David Moyes and thinking, he's, he's, he's definitely going to get us out of this. Let's, let's focus in uh, just briefly to end the conversation about your own experiences, mm. uh, Andy, because let's take an, uh, a more mature British coach and a younger British coach, both of whom managed you, Joe Royal and Paul Jewell. Yes. You have always said that that there was a problem with Paul Jewell because you didn't find that there was a respect there. But was that anything to do with his experience? No. Or is that just no. the way that he behaved? Bit, yes, and what, yes, what, yes, yes. What made you respect Joe Royal is because of the way that he behaved with you and nothing to do with what he'd done with Oldham or, or well, any I worked with that. Danny Wilson as well, who was a, a relatively younger coach as well when he came to Sheffield Wednesday. And I, I just judged everybody on how they coached or managed. It was immaterial their age, their experience, whether they won, whether they lost, whatever they were, I just said, right, from day one on the on the training field, not just with me, but for the rest of the squad as well, how they man- manage, how they coach the team. And that's why Joe Royal, Danny Wilson, in my eyes, were, were very, very similar. Of course, in terms of success, probably very different, but both brilliant coaches, brilliant man managers. Paul Jewell was, was dre- in my opinion, was dreadful. So Paul Jewell, it, the Oldham assistant, by the way. Yes, so that, that's just the way I saw I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. Because you never do. Well... You're yeah. an old you British player, so you obviously think you're right. And mm. the fi- final point is, what's Tony Pulis's next job? Swansea. Which will be a really interesting test case, because Swansea do pride themselves on that, on that identity that they've managed to craft over, over 10 years. And if they get Pulis, that is them saying, that was all great, but we just want to be in the Premier League now. It's the mo- it marks the moment at which Swansea just become another club. Is that because of the investment from new American owners and then no. not necessarily being... The, the, Swansea's been mismanaged for quite a while and it predates the involvement of the Americans. They've not made it better, but I don't think they've made it worse. I think that there has been, the, the whole thing has been allowed to drift. Swansea have fallen in love with their own story a little bit. I think that's the problem there. So if you don't get Pulis to keep you up, fine. But if, if, if I, I don't have any influence with Jason Kaplan or... Jason Levine and Steve Kaplan, is it that way around? I can't remember which way around it is. I don't have any influence with the American owners, or even with Hugh Jenkins at Swansea. But if, if they are listening, I suspect they're not, then what I would say to them is, give Tony Pulis a six-month contract, give him 18 months, pretend you're going to keep him for longer, and then sack him, and then go and get someone who can make you play nice football, because that's what matters. But Paul Clement is in there as a young British coach. The, he, he, that's a, it's, quite a good, it's quite a good test case, really. He's had two, two jobs, Derby... Didn't work out for him there. That might have been a personality thing rather than who a football knows? thing. And, and it could, could be that he's running into similar, similar problems at Swansea. Certainly the, the, the strength of the squad at Swansea seems to be counterproductive in terms of any coach's ability to get the best out of those players. But we have been talking about 
aspiring British coaches because it's not necessarily an age thing getting a chance he has you know had unbelievable experience working alongside Carlo Ancelotti at Bayern at PSG at Chelsea and and yet he can't coach Swansea's players to success so so you can understand why Swansea would fall back on somebody yeah. with a proven track record of at least keeping a it's, team it's, in the division is Pulis a better manager than Clement it, isn't that the, qu- the question he might be a better manager he probably isn't a better coach well I think the, the other crucial thing is that some, some people are good coaches but not good managers Paul Clement may well just be a really good coach yeah. everyone agree, if he speaks to anyone in football they'll say Paul Clement is a great coach maybe he's not a great maybe he's not meant to be a manager there's plenty like that there's plenty who've, who've tried it Chinch Ch- Ch- will tell you about those and decided that it wasn't quite for them mm. and, and it's probably still a big difference between English football and, and the rest of the continent isn't it that you know we have drawn comparisons that I think we do still have the mentality of a manager yeah. who has coaches good coaches working from him he manages the players they coach him and that's probably not the situation in, in Germany, Spain and, also, and Italy. And you look at Swansea, they would presumably take anybody to keep them in the Premier League ahead of, say, bringing somebody in who will develop an attractive style of football. They might get relegated going down that road, but they'll play a more attractive brand of football. But staying in the Premier League is what it's all about. So yeah. the football we play doesn't matter. We've got, Where the money is, we've got to stay in. So we employ someone to do that job for us and if it's if it's six months great then we try and find something in the summer or we want to play an attractive brand of football six months later get rid of that guy get somebody in to keep us in the league so you just kept flip-flopping between yeah, that's the two true. states yeah. of being but you, a lot of money, yeah. th- there's yeah. no way that could they sell it to the Swansea fans saying we're going to bring somebody in who's maybe a bit younger who is British who wants to play a really great brand of football but we might be in the championship next season playing that brand of football that might get us back up again mm. the fans will say under no circumstances should we do that we should bring somebody in get five centre-halves in the team stay in the Premier League at all costs because we want to watch Premier League football if we're bottom of the Premier League it doesn't matter we're still in the Premier League is that what they'd rather take majority of fans you think now I think if you I don't know I think that there is a point at which fans will start to think and I know plenty of fans who who support teams in that kind of in that group will start to think actually maybe this isn't a vast amount of fun losing two games out of three just you know finishing with 44 points in 14th in the Premier League it's not what if if all you're doing is watching you know, attritional football, what's the point? And I think that is a genuine worry. I think if you sell if you sell it to the fans and say, look, w- what's important to us about Swansea is not the money we have in the Premier League, but the way we play football yeah. and the entertainment we pro- provide to you. I think, as I say, Athletic Bilbao, show, it might, that might be unique, but that shows us that there is a, a mindset that fans can have that says we don't just need success all the time. Mm. The, only, the only issue there that counts against that what would seem like logical way of going about things is how flipping difficult it is to get back out of the championship when you're relegated. I think, again, if you were a big club in another country, you would be able to take that decision, think, you know what, we've got good enough players, a good enough structure, we are financially sound, we'll be able to invest to get the team back up. Whereas there is just a long, long list of really big clubs that have been relegated from the Premier League and have struggled unbelievably yeah. to return. And that's what would be the any anxiety for a club like Swansea 
and from from top, you know, from from executives down to fans, that, that they would fall into that trap. I suppose I was looking about. Look at Derby, who got so close against the Premier League. Are their fans under, enjoying under, them? Under getting so Rattler. close, so close. But would you rather be battling for the top six every year in the Championship or in the bottom three of the Premier League? As a business, you say the money, great mm. Premier League. But for the for the fans, is it not a bit more enjoyable to watch a team win one in three and be battling at the top six and maybe get promoted? Is that not more exciting as a fan? Fun for a couple of seasons, really. But you want to be playing United, Arsenal, or getting beaten. By United and Liverpool. I think Perhaps, still want to be playing um, them. People uh, could get in touch and, and tell us if you were uh, a fan of a club, would you rather be in the Premier League with Tony Pulis or in the Championship with, say, a Gary Paul Rowlett. Clement or a Gary Rowlett? Uh, let us know <laughs> at setpiece menu or setpiece menu at gmail.com. By the way, Tony Pulis isn't real. Tony Pulis. Ah, <laughs> that's ah, what's he, he ever done? Wrong. What's he ever done? He's done <laughs> nothing. Loads of fellas on Greet TV saying, <laughs> "What's this Tony Pulis ever done?" <laughs> tell me, uh, tell me what you think at Seppi's Menu or Seppi's Menu at gmail.com about real or fake managers. Uh, before we go, it's time for Nevermind Jack and Nori. What's a soccer story when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed? Chinch. Off your pop. This is uh, this is one from the Hinchcliffe glory years. Oh yes, the, oh. the two years golden <laughs> years that I was part of the uh, the England national setup. Didn't play many games, just as part of the setup. Used to get the teas and stuff like that. But this was <laughs> this was Glenn Hoddle's attempt in the team hotel, the plush Buckinghamshire hotel we used to stay at, to try and engender some kind of team spirit because it was a bit disparate. The players used to come together. United players didn't speak to Liverpool players. And it, it was a bit obvious there was cliques all childish. over the place. It was childish. very childish. Um, but what Glenn wanted to do was, he said, right, mealtimes, we all have to come down and eat together. There's no more room service. It's banned. Room service is banned. We're all grown men here, but we're not allowed to order room service. So I'm thinking this... This isn't going to work out well. When you look at some of the people we've got in the squad, this could go horribly wrong. So he brings this law in to say there's no more room service to be ordered. This is in the afternoon. The following morning, we're all down at breakfast because we had to be down at breakfast. And Glenn, just, can I just have a word? Can I just have a word? Um, there's meant to be no room service. We'd, we'd banned it for everybody. And um, I've just noticed here, because I, I checked with the, the kitchen staff as to see whether anyone did try and order something. And I've, I've had something here from, uh, from Gaza. Um, Gazza, did you order anything from room service last night? And Gazza's, uh, I don't think so, can't remember. Uh, pint of bitter and a packet of fags. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, Gazza ordered them f- from room service and apparently he'd spoke, when he told the story, he spoke to the poor lad down in the kitchens who, you know, they get these young kids in. He must have been 17. Paul Gascoigne's on the phone. If you don't get a pint of bitter and a packet of fags up here in the next 10 minutes, I'm going to come down and find you. So this poor kid had to go over the train, probably shaking up to Paul Gascoigne's room. But it wasn't like Gatorade and some like, you know, turkey sandwiches that are really healthy and fit. No, pint of bitter and a pack of fags. I think Glenn then realised this is not going to work. What is the point in trying to make this work? I just feel so sorry for this poor young lad. He must have, I got to meet Paul Gascoigne. Maybe I bashed the tray out of his hands. <laughs> Run bitter. Bang, I want IPA. <laughs> that man has grown up to be the great Gary Rowlett. Absolutely, he has. I was going to say that I'm on Gaza's side there. Does, Glenn Hoddle has introduced the rule to prevent you all having dinner separately. Gaza's just after his pudding. He wants a pint of bitter and some fags. Pudding? Yeah. <laughs> Pudding. His pudding. It's not a creme brulee, is it? <laughs> he must have come down for dinner that night. He wasn't. Yeah, he hadn't sort of stayed in his room. He's he's obeyed the letter of the Lord. Glenn Hoddle is the one who's forgotten the spirit of it. No, he hasn't. Which is ironic. How, if he can't order room <laughs> service, the and he orders room service, 
He's just slapped Glenn across the face there, hasn't he? Terrible behaviour. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Andy, to Rory and to Steve and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. There's another thing that I find is when a player's boot comes off Mm. and someone passes him the ball and he's got to play yeah. in his stocking yeah, feet. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it's yeah. fantastic. And the socks are never fully pulled up. No, no they're, they're always hanging off the edge. Yeah. Yeah. And he just <laughs> flicks it. <laughs> there is another source of joy when a player's boot comes off, which is working out, especially when you're when you're live at a, at a game, when you're seeing it in the flesh, is working out when the player's going to try and put his boot back on. Yes, yes. And seeing him clock it, right, my boot's over there, <laughs> I, need to run over, I need to run over here to do my job with, with one foot sort of squelching <laughs> on the floor. But then I know when my... So if it does that for a throw, I'm going to run out my boot and put it back on. It's, I enjoy watching that process there's an element of kind of, of, of the, see the panic in their eyes it. yeah that, that one's really caught on that whole joy thing hasn't it yeah. it's great that people keep sending this I really like it I feel as if we're bringing joy, joy. <laughs> happiness what to people's what brings me lives. joy talking about joy it's we self-perpetuating should, we should have saved them all up and done a special rather than well, yeah, we or should alternatively have like uh, we should do a set piece menu where we talk about how much we like set piece menus see if that self-perpetuates oh, yeah, just keeps yeah. on sending us what, lots of correspondence your about how much thing? they like yeah, set piece menu it brings me joy when Chinch tells a story and stuff like that yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be so good, contrived at all I'm sure that would work be good when Chinch accuses Duncan Ferguson of, of adultery of multiple adultery Mul- I didn't adultery. I didn't though did I I was very careful in my wording you were very he careful he got off the coach Got off. Got off. Full stop. The coach.